All right, welcome back to episode seven of the Biased Opinion Podcast. I'm here with PJ. Um, today we're talking about Stanley Cup Finals, Game Six recap, Game Seven preview, a little bit of NBA Finals. Uh, game Five just happened. Um, U.S. First, Open preview. U.S. Open preview with our first ever guest of the podcast and uh, bias bonus at the end. So, oh, and uh, you talk. Rafael Nadal uh, summary of his French Open. Yes. Alright, uh, let's get right into it. Game 6, Bruins dominating victory, 5-1, Bennington rattled, Bruins are on, Bruins, I don't know, I, 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 didn't exp- I don't think they were going to lose this game, I, I really like, if they did lose this game, I think I would have been pretty depressed for a couple of weeks, um, but yeah, Bruins came out, they knew, they've been in this situation before, backs against the wall, it's when they play their best, first line showed up. Second line, everyone showed up last night. Yeah, great win. Anything to say about it? It was it was a great team performance, I think, in Game 6. The team kind of played the desperation that they didn't really play with earlier in the, se- in the series. Yeah, it's an emergency. And then Tuca, he was gobbling up everything. And when the defense in front of him played really well, so it helped him see the pucks. But it was it took something weird for them to score. I mean, they kind of scored because the puck was on edge. That puck's flat. Tuca's pad probably keeps yeah, it past no, yeah. that, was, that, was a, that was a very... Fluky goal. I don't know how many saves he ended up finishing up with. Probably around thirty or so. But it was his stat line was pretty good. And Tuka's a beast. If he continues, if he continues that into Game Seven, it'd be if the Bruins forward show up, it'd be hard for the Bruins to lose if Tuka plays that well in Game Seven. I agree. Tuka, I think Tuka can even if the Bruins don't show up. I think the way Tuka's playing and the way he plays in elimination games, all playoffs, I think there's a chance he could steal the game. But I think that for Game Seven though the. Bennington's always bounced back when he's had bad games. Yeah. In he, game three, I mean, he was pretty bad. He showed up in game four and five. So just because Bennington had one bad if you look game. At, if you look at history the of these playoffs, both goalies are looking like they're going to have a strong game in game game seven. I would I would agree with that. I don't think any goalie is going to lay an egg in game seven. I also want to talk about the first line real quick. Uh, perfection line, as some uh, pretty weak national analysts call them. Um, the... The first line only works when, in my opinion, when Marshawn or Pasternak shooting. And this entire series, neither of them have even looked like they wanted to take a shot. They've they've been hesitating every time they get the puck, looking for another pass when they don't need to. They, they just need to let it fly. And Bergeron's actually leading that that line in shots on goal, which I don't think he led them in shots on goal in the regular season. Like that's just not the way that line works. Marshawn and Pasternak are the shooters, and Marshawn was actually finally letting it rip last night, and it worked out. He scored. First line looked a lot better than they have all series. And I think they need to keep that up. Even though, even if Marshawn and Pasta are fighting through hand injuries, I think it's very important that Marshawn keeps shooting because it works. The first line is much better with him. I think we can put hand injuries to bed. At this point, It's everybody's got something. It's game seven. I agree. No, I know. I'm, I'm no not, excuses. It's not an excuse. I, that's what I'm when saying. You see him take that shot. That's it exactly doesn't look like he's he needs to shoot. a hand injury. That's what I'm saying. He needs to shoot more. And then second line, put Kuhlman in there finally. I've been calling for I've been calling for him for a while. I'm a big Coleman fan, and the second line completely opened it up for them. That was Krejci and DeBrus' best game in multiple weeks, I think, when they put Coleman in there. Coleman just and Coleman had he went bar down on Benny. That was nasty. Snipe from the top of the circles. That was Coleman had a great game. The whole second line played good, and I mean I think Marsh on shooting and putting Coleman in was the key to finally letting the second line or the top six. Uh, unleashed the top six, and they finally played up to their, what we know, they played up to their standards, and yeah, I think that was huge, and, and I think they can keep it up in game seven, and I think the Blues have to be rattled. 
I don't I don't think the Blues are rattled. I think if anything the Blues are happy to go on the road for game 7. Closing it the out Blues, at home. The Blues can only beat us when the top 6 had their worst games of their season and now the top 6 is finally looking back to what they were. They're they're back at the even when the Bruins won this series, the top 6 didn't play that well. I think the Bruins have more experience so they won't mind having a Stanley Cup in the building at home to clinch it. The Blues were not ready to win the Stanley Cup at I think home the, with the whole state of Missouri packed into St. Louis. They were just never going to win that game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Blues have I think that for the St. Louis fans, they're they're overrated. They they got they got random celebrities there and they act like they've been diehard fans like Pam and uh Pam from the office and John Hanna. Yeah. Uh, diehard St. Louis Blues fans grew up here. St. Louis but they weren't they weren't St. Louis they 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 started wa- everyone in that building started watching hockey 3 weeks ago. Yeah, I think. Saint, yeah, yeah, I agree. There's no that. pressure on the Blues. There's no pressure on the Blues. There's yeah. no pressure in St. Louis. Win or lose. I mean, the people were paying four thousand dollars for a ticket. There was a little bit of pressure, and you got the whole state in the city. There's a little bit of. pressure. I don't think they were winning that game. Bruins were not. Bergeron apparently gave one of the most legendary speeches of all time before that game. Bruins, they've been there. They've been here before. They know what it takes. They've been in every situation you possibly can be in playoff hockey. It seems like, and I think leadership wins out. And huge moments when especially when the teams are pretty even and great goaltending was out Bennington didn't play good Tuka played great I think that was I, I mean the Bruins just were they were just the better team in game six and I I'm confident for game seven I'm not making any predictions because whenever when I make a prediction about the Bruins these playoffs it hasn't really turned out great so you did predict a game six victory I did you're right I just, I'm not making I, any predictions either I'm not making any predictions in game seven it's gonna be a close game I think it's also been interesting that both teams really haven't played well at the same time like each yeah. of the games, like the Blues kind of played good for parts of the first period, first game, and then the Bruins kind of picked it up, and the Blues fell off. Now it's but game the, seven. At it's the same all on the line. I think that when the Blues play good and the Bruins play bad, the Blues play good and the Bruins play bad. Jesus, I can't talk. Um, it's been a close, close win for the Blues. Whereas when the Bruins play good and the Blues play bad, it's been a blowout. Yeah, I think. I a, think that shows a win's a win. Are, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but it doesn't the Bruins matter are, if you win by four goals. I think or you it shows you the Bruins two. are the better team. The Bruins have, the Bruins are clearly a better team, and also. The Blues have, I mean, the refs hand them some of the worst penalties I've seen. Even in Game Six, they got the refs were not exactly perfect, and they're going to be the refs for Game Seven. They're a lot better than Game Five, but and I'm not making excuses. But I don't think you can make an excuses about the Blues getting power plays when their power play it's just abysmal. What is it like one for seventeen this postseason? Bruins it's awful, and unreal. I guess Tarasenko. Tarasenko doesn't even take slap. Doesn't like to take slap shots or one timers. Tarasenko saw. So they kind of not a fan take, of Tarasenko. They just take bombs from the point. They get blocked and then it gets cleared out. Their power play sucks. Pareko, Pareko likes ripping clappers right into his chest. With yes, with no, that's terrible shot selection. O'Reilly, O'Reilly, I feel like has been by far, far and away their best player the last few games. He's been like almost carrying them on offense. He's the Bruins have no answer for O'Reilly. Even last night, he his every time he was on the ice. They had like a two minute shift in the Bruins though. And I think this not last night. This could six, be saying the obvious, but whoever gets the first goal in this game, it's it's gonna be big. If the Blues get it, then the Bruins will be a little nervous. The fans can get a little antsy. I don't think the Bruins are gonna nervous. The Blues play a lot better when they're in front when they're behind. They're more built to protect leads and to chase the game. It's and I also I think the crowd's the gonna be into it. I think that like obviously it's game seven still like a final, but I think this crowd's gonna be electric. Rumor has it uh Brady might be the banner captain. Ortiz might uh Maybe he'll make an appearance I in Jumbotron. I think today it was reported that Ortiz had a surgery and he'll be in the hospital for several yeah, days. Jumbotron, I'm saying. Oh, Jumbotron, you're right, you're Skype. right. Yes. Yeah, Skype called the Jumbotron. Skype called the Jumbotron. I think Fine. this crowd will be hyped up from the start. Electric crowd. I don't think the Bruins are going to get... You th- I don't see Patrice Bergeron, Zeno, Chara, Brad Marshall getting nervous. I just don't see that happening. 
The fans are get nervous. Getting nervous. If they're down one goal going into the third well, it period, doesn't matter. I don't think the team's gonna and get the nervous. And the Blues parked the bus. Game seven, 2013, Maple Leafs. Bruins. There's always there's always a lot of hockey left. You can never count the, this Bruins team out. I'm all, I've also been impressed by the Bruins keeping leads this playoffs. I think game seven, Toronto. They're up two goals and they played. They simplified the game. They got pucks in deep. They played defense. really well and they played great. Up a goal against St. Louis in game six. Even though St. Louis had a bunch of chances, I thought the. Bruins pretty when much you got guys like Sean Corrales on your team. You're not losing a lead. Sean Corrales shuts it down. Sean Corrales, Mr. Third Period. So that's, guys, that's what I'm saying. Whoever scores the first goal in this game is going to be huge favorites to win. If St. Louis scores the first goal, I still won't be nervous. If I'm a, if I'm if I'm on the Bruins. Okay, so mate, you can say that it's more important for St. Louis to score the first goal than the Bruins. That's fair. Yeah. But if St. Louis still scores the first goal, it's still a big deal. I Obviously, think. it's a big deal, but I'm not worried. Bennington has also been shaky, the last couple of games like big game five he didn't play well at all and games in we're obviously we're talking about how game, it's five always was, has, game five was one where he had 37 saves or game six you mean or game four game well, the one where he let up the two rebounds off his chest and the ref screwed us that was game, game five in game five Bennington did not play well he had like he 37 two, saves and he shut us yeah, out in the first period we, we didn't have any quality shots we threw him on net and he let up two soft goals we lost 4-2 he let up two soft goals he didn't play that good he had a lot of saves in the third period that were Pareko shots slap shots from the point right in his chest he didn't play that well he didn't, he didn't, he didn't rob us at all he Bennington really has not played that great the last two games you can look at the box scores he had a lot of saves but he really didn't it's not like he stole that game or anything which game are we talking about again? The one where he let up two awful rebounds off his chest. I, maybe that was game four. Maybe it was know. game four. Yeah, it might have been game four. I'm not worried. Tuka is a better goalie. Bruins are more experienced. The top six finally looked good again. I don't think you can be worried if you're a Bruins fan for game seven. I mean, obviously everyone's worried it's game seven, but I'm confident. If the Bruins win, Tuka con Smythe? Yes. Even if the Bruins lose, I think he has an argument. The only guy on the Blues with an argument is O'Reilly. If Biddington gets the con Smythe after getting pulled... Are you kidding me? That's a joke. What if he shuts us out? It doesn't matter. He got pulled. A goalie. If a goalie gets pulled, he can't win Conn Smythe. Didn't he get pulled multiple times? Bennington's pull- been extremely inconsistent these playoffs. I like Bennington a lot as a player, but I don't think you get Bennington. I think O'Reilly gets the Conn Smythe if the Blues win, but even even if the Blues win, I think Tuca should be... Tuca should have a chance of winning Collins by. This happened before. I think at this point you just throw stats out, you throw trends out, you throw inconsistencies out, and it's it's just one game. And it's one game for all whoever, the marbles. Whoever plays better, whoever plays better goaltending, I think is going to win the game. One game for all the marbles. I'm not making a prediction, but I'm very confident. So, yeah. I'm not making a prediction at all. Who yeah. knows what's going to happen. Who knows? Game seven. Anything can happen. Playoff hockey. I think it'll be competitive going to the third period, though. I think it'll be a competitive game. I don't see a blowout either way. I see it being close. Yeah, might have a heart attack. It's okay, though. All right, moving on to uh, NBA Finals. Last yeah, night. Yeah, NBA Finals. Uh, me and Shane were not able to catch the game live, but we saw some house of highlights. Raptors had a... We listened to the, we listened to the last four minutes on the radio, two on the way home from the Red Sox. Yes, we did. It was the Warriors radio station. Yes, Warriors radio station, biased. big fans of uh, DeMarcus Cousins. If you didn't watch the game, DeMarcus Cousins had about 10 great plays in the last five minutes of the game that helped the Warriors win, according to what we heard yeah, from our sources. I, Apparently, but he also had like an offensive goaltending error. So I don't, I don't know. Either way, the Raptors were up six points with like three minutes left. Kawhi just went off and then... Kawhi, they Kawhi just, had like seven straight points. And, and then the Warriors took over in the last three well, minutes of the game. The Raptors coach called the timeout. 
I know you call a timeout when you have the ball on a 7-0 run or whatever it was with the lead. He said Kawhi was tired. He said that the is, team was that tired. Is, yeah, that, it's, there's three minutes left. Come on now. I agree. With, it, I agree. Just, it's not only like stopping the momentum. It's letting the everybody... Warriors retired too. I'm with you. It's not only stopping the momentum, it's giving your team a chance to think about what's about to happen. Yeah, that's... An... Like, you're just thinking... You don't want Kyle Lowry thinking that he's three minutes away from an NBA Wait, title. There was, like, there was like 15... Like, the biggest celebrities in Toronto right now. Like, like every single one of them was courtside. All of Canada was... There was, like, 15 different viewing parties across Canada with, like, ridiculous amounts of people. And you... I don't know. Way too much pressure. The Raptors collapsed. But I... I'm confident... Still in the rap in my Raptors and seven prediction, I predicted that the Raptors would go up three one. Then KD would come back, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But predicted this would happen. Warriors would win when KD comes back. I'm sticking with Warriors and seven. I mean the Raptors, they better win in Game Six because they're not winning in Game Seven. That's gonna be way too much pressure. Whole country behind them. They just showed Game Five that they cannot close. Well, so I don't know. I think we also got to we also got to shout out the Splash Brothers. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are clutch. They, they were weren't clutch. going out in game five. They weren't going out like that. They weren't going down without Although a Although it is, the Warriors in the House of Highlights, they made every single three. They had like 23s. They're not making that's, 23s well, that's in what the they next do. game. They, it's the Golden State Warriors. They will not make 23s in game six. I don't think you can I don't think you can count out the Warriors not being able to make 23s again. And it also, it's Steph Curry. What happened to Fred Van Fleet? He couldn't stop Steph Curry at all. And every single three, he was running around him, catching and shooting and scoring. It's Steph Curry. Steph Curry... I'm telling you, Steph. It's Steph Curry might be the best player in the world. I mean, you can make an you can argument. Still make that argument. You can make an argument that Toronto should have won Game Two and that it should have been a sweep. You can also say they should have closed them out yesterday. So you keep letting the Warriors hang around. That's trouble. I still think that it's going to go seven, and the Raptors going to win seven. Although with KD hurt, that changes things up a little bit. Hurt again. Well, th- Torres Achilles. He's going to miss all of next year, I think, maybe or at least half yeah, of next year. It's a long time. And Achilles injuries screw up guys' careers. Cousins isn't the same as he was. Kobe, that pretty much ended his career. Achilles injuries in the NBA are not good. It's just bad news. But at the same time, it's still Kevin Durant. So it's interesting. I'm not going to like say that he's done or anything. but It's interesting how the narrative changed. Before the series, it was time for Steph to show that he could win without KD and prove that you know, he can be the man, the best player in the championship team without saying, KD. People are saying that uh, KD was, wasn't playing to... Prove that the Warriors need him. Or right something now, like that. all of a sudden, the narrative is, let's win it for KD. Nobody would have thought that Do before the series. I Do know. it for Kevin. Do it for Kevin. And also, uh, I think a lot of people thought KD was like for sure leaving the Warriors at like maybe like, like a week or two ago. People were like, oh, Durant's gone after the series, and he doesn't care about the Warriors. He's not playing to prove a point. But like the Warriors, the Warriors, Kevin Durant and the Warriors clearly care about each other. Like the GM was crying. That was kind of weird. He was crying. That, yeah, the guy. He, that was really KD weird. didn't die. Know. Yeah, that was that was weird. He was again like, choked up because he got I mean, hurt. You but saw like the, the sports, but the Red Sox president talking about David Ortiz. He did it very professionally in his press conference. Yeah. and the Warriors guy. I mean, he was like he's at a funeral or something. It was yeah, ridiculous. that was weird. But like, if you look, KD post on Instagram like how much like how much the injury hurt him and. Uh, he was cheering on his teammates or whatever, and Clay Thompson talked about like how good of a teammate he is and how how much better he makes. It. I don't know. Like I think the rumors that KD was definitely gone were overstated, but KD being out, um, it does it definitely makes the Warriors not unbeatable, which we've seen already earlier in this series. But Steph Curry is playing his best basketball right now. Clay Thompson played a, had a great second half last night. I still I think the Warriors are gonna win Game Six at home. But I'll take Toronto. 
and my boy Drake in seven games. Golden State in seven. Hover champion. I don't think Toronto's going to choke twice at home. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll bring in our first guest of the podcast, Stephen Tribuna, to preview the U.S. Open. So welcome back to Bias Opinion. Uh, we have our first guest on the podcast. Seamus has dropped out. He'll be back for a bias bonus. As we welcome Stephen Tribuna to the pod. Stephen, how are you? I'm good. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Um, I'm ready to talk about some golf, man. So let's preview the uh, U.S. Open uh, at Pebble Beach this weekend. Steven, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the course and the possible favorites? So I'm a big uh, barstool guy. Follow them a lot. And they were out there playing Pebble Beach a couple of weeks ago. And the course looks pretty tough. It's hard to hold a lot of the greens at Pebble Beach. And the wind is such a big factor that you have to hit a lot of low cuts into it to make sure that you can actually get the same distance that you can get on your clubs instead of hitting those long bombs. So it's going to play a lot different than what people are used to. So I'm happy to see uh, how it's going to play out. Yeah, you make a good point about the greens because Pebble Beach is one of the shorter major championship golf courses. It's not much longer than 7,000 yards. So you're right, the big bombers don't really have that much of an advantage. It's, it's more about precise and accuracy, especially with the small greens. Yeah, I'm hoping they don't... Uh... They don't mess with the greens too much just because Pebble Beach greens play so, like, true. And it's it's similar to the Masters. Augusta greens play so true that every whole location every year is almost exactly the same on each day. With the U.S. Open, it's different because they always switch courses. But last year with Shinnecock, is Shinnecock already played so tough. But then they were messing with the with the holes on the greens and you saw like Phil Mickelson who hit his putt before it stopped rolling (laughs) because he just got so frustrated. Like I hope they don't do that with Pebble beach this week. And if they don't, it should make for a tough tournament. Yeah. The last couple of us opens, you right have had a lot of controversy. You go back to chambers Bay. It was like playing miniature golf out there. Then you go to Oakmont with Dustin Johnson with his ruling that clouded the back nine of that terrible. Then, uh, the one before Shinnecock, what was it? Aaron Hills. Aaron Hills was kind of set up weird. That was not your true U.S. Open. So now we're back to a true U.S. Open, which hopefully they set the course up right and there's not a lot of controversy. We just get right down to the playing. And I feel like the U.S. Open has has been so rocky over the past years, like you said. So maybe coming back home to an actual U.S. Open course will settle things back into the way that the U.S. Open is supposed to be played. It's supposed to be tough golf. It's supposed to be fun to watch and not like looping your way around around wins. Brooks Kepka has held it down for the past two years, and he's just been playing fantastic golf, and no one else has been able to compete with him. Yeah, Brooks is definitely one of the favorites. Two-time defending champ. You'd think it'd be hard to make it three times in a row, but he's just so locked in, and he's so focused, and it doesn't seem like anything really bothers him out there, and thick rough he's so strong he can get through it and i think with his he's also a power player but his accuracy is also very overlooked especially with like shorter clubs and his putting is is rock solid definitely i've looked uh on instagram and i've seen into brooks bag and he still plays nike vapor clubs and note you nike hasn't made clubs in what like two three years yeah. almost and they're they're done with golf. They're only making apparel. And the fact that he's still playing those clubs just shows you that 
He's gotten so used to it. He knows exactly where the ball is going to go. And his confidence going into every single major is insane. That's the reason he wins, is he's so confident in himself. And that's where some of the players miss out on good opportunities to grab their first major because they're not confident enough in themselves to to push that final day and keep it. Another player who should be confident coming this week, Tiger Woods. Previous U.S. Open champ at Pebble Beach won by 15 shots in 2000. What are your, what are your thoughts on Tiger's chances this week? I think Tiger's got relatively good chances. He was looking good at uh, the Memorial. He played that. Didn't, didn't win, but he was up there, probably middle of the pack. And honestly, that's what Tiger can do. Tiger can go out, play a decent round of golf, and then show up to the important things. And especially coming off a Masters win, he didn't play too hot at uh, the PGA, but it's the U.S. Open. It's back at his place. He is the last person to win there. I think I think he can have a good chance to lock it down again. Yeah, and also playing with Tiger, Jordan Spieth, uh, he's kind of picked up his game lately. He's always one that kind of shows up for the majors more than the other tournaments. His putting is kind of back on track. He's... His precision off the tee isn't as great, but he kind of fights through his rounds. What do you think about Jordan Spieth? Do you think he can compete this week? I think Jordan can compete. I think he showed that at the PGA Championship, too. He hung on there at the end. Yeah, he didn't play his best golf, but he was still in the mix. And a lot of people overlooked that because of the way that Brooks was just... He was killing everyone. And then that that last stretch at the end, that back nine, where he started to fall apart, does Dustin Johnson have a chance... It overshadowed that whole entire Jordan Spieth actually played some decent golf. So I think as long as he doesn't get inside his own head too much, he's he's one to compete with. And another one to compete with is Rory McIlroy. He's coming off a huge win at the uh, RBC Canadian, and you know he might he might be able to to keep that momentum going and be one of those top contenders. Yeah, it's it's hard to win back-to-back weeks on the PGA Tour, but when you're in such a zone and locked in, he shot, what, like 64-61 on the weekend? He was five back, and he ended up winning by seven shots. And when he's got the driver working and his putting, he's actually – when he's making putts, he's, he's almost unbeatable when he gets hot. So we'll see if he can continue it. He definitely – I think he'll definitely finish in the top ten. Um, but, yeah, Rory's definitely one to look out for for sure. What about uh, – you want to say something about Rory? I mean, he, he was on 59 watch for a little bit there um, in his last round on Sunday. So, yeah, I think he's looking pretty hot. But Ricky Fowler, Ricky, think he can pull one out? Uh, Ricky's my boy. I don't, I don't see it this week. I, I don't think his overall game's consistent enough, tee to green. I think for Ricky, courses with less rough is better for him. He's not a great player out of the rough. His putting is one of the best in the PGA Tour, but I think he relies on it a little too much. So I think, although what I saw with Ricky is his tee time is Thursday morning on 1. So that means Friday afternoon he'll be starting on 10. So on Friday afternoon he'll actually be closing on the quieter part of the courts. Everybody else will be following the groups on the back nine. So I wonder if the quieter part of the course, maybe Ricky will kind of fly under the radar. He's always consistent. He's always around there, but he hasn't really contended yet this year in the major so we'll see about Ricky I don't know I just I don't see Pebble Beach as a great setup for him yeah I can see what you mean he likes to uh 
He likes to play some long balls sometimes, and Pebble's not really the course to be able to do that. So it'll he'll be interesting to watch. He's always fun to watch. It's just sometimes with these majors, he's been struggling here and there. And then, obviously, there's a story of Phil Mickelson chasing his career grand slam. Always, dude. Phil and the U.S. Open, they are going to fight to the death. <laughs> the amount of times that man has come in not only the top five, but tied second for the U.S. Open is insane. That trophy has Phil Mickelson's name, and Phil Mickelson is is holding on for dear life. Yeah, he won earlier the uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am, and I think it was January or February, but that's like a t- different course setup. The ref's not... Rough's not as long. The fairways are a little bit wider. But he, he still won there. He still is a good player at Pebble. So that'll be one to look out for. What about you got any sleepers? Maybe guys not ranked in the top ten in the world that could contend? I think someone to really look out for in in something like this is Tony Finau. He's been showing up to these majors randomly and, and keeping his name in contention. Um, another one is Xander Shoffley. I feel like he flies under everyone's radar. He's one of those people that, like, I don't even want to say his name because he's not really too relevant. Yeah. But he's unreal. He's he's come up in some clutch situations to, to put his name up top. And then you also look at uh, Patrick Cantlay, who just won at the Memorial. He, he shot, like, 20 under two weeks ago. So he's also hot. He's won a couple of times this year. He was in the mix in the back nine of the Masters. And then also, you look at a player like Adam Scott. He hits the ball as well as anybody on tours. Hasn't been able to putt well. He's kind of been in the mix for the Masters and the PGA, and you just think of a guy like that who can hit it that well. If he can just figure out the putter, he give himself a chance going into the weekend. Yeah, Adam Scott's one of those guys that I always feel like is going to have a good uh, major. Like every single one he plays, he usually plays them relatively well. And he's just one of those guys. There's a couple of guys on tour that will show up to every major, and they'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, they don't win them all, but they're in the mix. And Adam Scott's definitely one of those guys. I think another one to uh, to really look out for is uh, Justin Thomas. He He's dabbled with the uh, U.S. Open a couple of times, and I feel like he he might be able to compete yeah, all right. So that's uh, our U.S. Open preview. Uh, Steven, you want to give a – I know golf's tough to predict a winner. It's, there's like 30 guys who can win if they play well. But you got a prediction on who you think is going to come out on top late Sunday night? My winner, I'm going to go with either Phil Mickelson or Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka's looking pretty good. He's probably my number one choice. All right. The guy, I'm going to go with a guy that somehow we didn't talk about. That would be Dustin Johnson. Number one in the world, close to the PGA, and I think he'll uh, get his hands on the U.S. Open in his second career major. Well, we'll just have to see, and uh, hopefully we watch a lot of good golf over the weekend. All right, good talking to you, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Once again, we thank Stephen Dribuna for his thoughts on the U.S. Open. Before we have uh, Seamus rejoin us for a bias bonus, I want to quickly touch on Rafael Nadal's latest triumph at the French Open. On Sunday, he defeated Dominic Time to win his 12th French Open title. That breaks the record for the most Grand Slam titles by a male or female in singles tennis history. With this victory on Sunday, Nadal captured his 18th Grand Slam title, as he is now only two behind Roger Federer for the most all-time. Nadal is now 12-0 in French Open finals, and he hasn't even lost in the semifinals in his career. 
At the age of 33, if Nadal can stay healthy, it seems as if 15 Roland Garros victories is on the horizon, and a possible catching of Federer too. What Nadal, what Nadal has achieved at the French Open is sporting greatness. If you look at the greatest dynasties in sports, let's say as recent as the Patriots, San Antonio Spurs, Chicago Blackhawks, Man United in the Premier League, or even Tiger Woods at his peak, or we can look back at dynasties such as Jordan's Bulls, Montana's 49ers, or Gretzky's Oilers, Rafael Nadal's achievements at Roland Garros are in the same discussion or on the same pedestal. To achieve a level of dominance over the course of a decade is remarkable. It's a testament to Rafael Nadal's greatness that he is called the King of Clay. In a sport where you're competing by yourself and physical fitness is at a premium, winning 12 major titles at one place in tennis is ridiculous. Nadal's dominance at Roland Garros will never be seen again. Now, his achievements at the French Open... They're almost second nature. Athletes, they're always trying to master their craft, and it's very clear that on clay, Rafael Nadal has mastered his craft and dominated a tennis tournament in an unprecedented fashion that we may never see again. Let me welcome Seamus back for a bias bonus. Last week, as you know, we did 20 bias bonus questions. I had my first losing record with 8 and 12. Seamus went 13 and 7. That leaves me at 30 and 30. Come back. And Seamus at 29 and 31. One game separates us as we do 10 quick ones today. So we'll start with the Women's World Cup. Will France beat Norway by two goals or more? Um, nah, nah, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. Nah, neither am I. Subway Series, who wins? Mets at Yankees, they play tonight. Um, I'll take the Yankees. Yeah, I'm going Yankees too. Mets really shouldn't be in New York. Game 7, who will win more faceoffs, Bergeron or O'Reilly? I'm not betting against the Bruins. Bergeron. I'll go. I'll go O'Reilly. Uh, Pirates at the Braves. Will Chris Archer pitch into the sixth inning for the Pirates? Uh, no. Dansby's gonna. Dansby's hitting for the cycle. So. Yeah, I'll go no as well. He's having a rough couple of weeks. Women's World Cup. Will Germany beat Spain on Wednesday? Um, no. Nah, I like Spain. I like Spain as well. They won their first game three to one. All right. U.S. Open. Will John Rahm or Justin Thomas record a double bogey or worse on their front front nine of the first round? Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a probably a good chance that one of them has one bad round or one bad hole. Yeah, I agree. I think one of them will have a double bogey or worse as well. All right, lower combined front nine score in the first round: the group of Ricky Fowler, Siwoo Kim, and Jason Day, or Justin Thomas, Bryson DeChambeau, and Kevin Kisner. Um, I'm thinking the second group. You're taking Justin Thomas's group? Yeah, I'm taking Justin Thomas. I, I'll go Ricky's group. All right, game seven. Will two penalties occur before the first goal is scored? Um, no, no. I think it's gonna be. I think Bruins are gonna score early and often. I'll go. I'll go two penalties. All right, WNBA debut onto the pod. Uh, who wins, Seattle Storm or the Indiana Fever? Indiana Fever have the home court advantage in this game. Uh, take Seattle. I think Indiana is tough to beat at home. I'm gonna go with Indiana Fever. And then the last one, who's gonna win in the MLB? Blue Jays. Who are twenty three and forty three, eleven and twenty on the road, at the Orioles, who are twenty and forty five, eight and twenty three at home. Marquee matchup in tonight's Tuesday MLB slate. Um, I'll take, um, take Blue Jays. Toronto's, you know, Drake's Drake's on fire right now. Other than last night, but yeah, I'll go Blue Jays. Everyone's focused on the Raptors, so they have less pressure yeah, right no now. Yeah, no pressure. It's probably so. I'll, I'll go Blue Jays as well, and that wraps up uh, this week's buys bonus. I have the lead after this week. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Comeback season. And welcome to our first uh, blatant biased errors segment. 
this is episode six, not episode seven, as yeah, Seamus said in the tough. beginning. That was tough. And also, my U.S. Open prediction, I said Dustin Johnson is the number one ranked player in the world. He is the number two ranked player in the world. So we apologize for those errors, and we'll come back better than ever for episode seven after game seven. All right, that wraps up episode six. Thanks for listening. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at biased underscore underscore opinion. We'll post when we have new episodes. And uh, yeah, and if you follow the links, you can leave a voice recording to possibly be in the next episode of the podcast. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back with episode seven. After later. game seven. After game seven, yeah.